Thank you, worship team. My name is Mike Griffin. I'm one of the elders at Christ Community. And today I'm going to read scripture from Luke 10, 25 through 37. And that's page 869 in the Blue Bible. Please stand to read God's word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he was on the journey, where he was, he saw him and had compassion. And he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word. You'll want to say thank you to Finn Bell, who is on the drums today. I don't know if you noticed that, but Jason's Bell son. And... Uh, <coughs> You know, first time as a teenager playing at Christ Community, that's a big thing, and, and playing with your dad, so you know you're going to get scrutiny when you get home, um, so we're glad he's here. I did want to mention something that a lot of you all know, that uh, Ferguson Norton, who's been sick for some time, died this early this morning, and uh, Ferguson was a, a rear, rear admiral, admiral, so... In the Navy, that's like being a two-star general. And for many years, he sat in the row right behind me, he and Linda. He was always very purposeful, very dignified. And when he came out after the service, he'd always have sort of the military handshake, you know, a man's handshake. He would look me straight in the eye and say, good job, good job. And I felt like it was like a general pinning something on me, you know. <laughs> Like, I mean, I got like three feet taller every time he did it. And so I'll miss him. But as we sang in those songs, death turns to life in Jesus' arms. I mean, those are true, and probably most of us aren't thinking about our own death today, but uh, it's helpful to ponder that. It's helpful to ponder that, that death isn't the end. Death is defeated. And death turns to life. And so that gives us hope. No matter where we are, God can rescue us from our current situation and certainly from our own death. 
So this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 10. And before we eavesdrop in on this conversation between Jesus and the lawyer, I want to put, the con- put some context to it. Uh, it. Just previously in the chapter, if you were here last week, you'd know that Jesus sent out these 72 disciples on mission, these 36 pairs. He's moving from north to south, moving towards Jerusalem. And as he goes forward, he's sending out these pairs of people to these various villages that he's going to visit on his way down to Jerusalem. And now they've all returned, and they're telling Jesus everything that happened. And you can imagine the the energy, the excitement, the volume in the room, where all these 72 people are all trying to tell their own story. They're not waiting for your story to come out there. they got another story. They're just trying to top each other. And so it's a great moment. Jesus himself is rejoicing, which is very interesting we looked at. And if you recall what he rejoiced over, Verse 21, chapter 10, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and this is what he rejoiced over. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and instead you've revealed them, these eternal truths, to little children, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus is rejoicing in grace. He's saying, hey, people who think they're wise in their own eyes, people who think they don't need any help, they don't, they don't hear. They don't hear the gospel. They don't either hear it or they don't think they need the gospel. But a little child who says, oh, can you help me reach this? Can you pick me up? That person, he understands his need for the gospel. And so anyone can join on this journey that, with Jesus that we're on through the book of Luke, but there's only one on-ramp. That's the on-ramp of grace. There's only one way to get on the journey. There's no, you can't hop a fence or anything. It's one on-ramp. It's a big on-ramp, but it's only one, and that is the on-ramp of of grace. The journey with Jesus is not like the Boy Scouts. It's not like you have to earn so many merit badges to get the Eagle Scout of eternal life. It's not like, well, I mean, I did so many things, I gave so much, I came to church so many times, and so I've got my badges that sort of get me through the checkpoint. That's not how it works with Jesus. And now that might sound like great news. No merit badges to get on the journey with Jesus? No, no, none required. Except some people don't like that system. They actually want merit badges. They want approval for what they've done. And what happens is we take our world system that you gain approval by doing things, getting merit badges, and then people like you for doing it or they promote you from doing it, and we bring that same system into our relationship with God. We say, well, I got promoted because I got these merit badges. I got this education, whatever it may be. I worked this hard, and so therefore I got promoted. And we sort of just bring that mentality into our relationship with the Lord and think, well, he's going to love me a lot more if I do this. I mean, I'm going to get it closer and closer. I'm going to get a bigger place in heaven. I mean, all these things that you sort of say that are earning, and it doesn't work that way. Now, this this happens all the time. You grow up in a system. You grow up with a set of beliefs. And then you encounter Jesus. And very frequently, you try to take those systems or sets of beliefs 
and then just import them in. And it doesn't work that way with Jesus. Now, in verse 25, we read that a religious party pooper noses his way into the celebration. He's a religious expert. That's why he's called a lawyer. He knows all the fine print. This guy's the smartest guy in the room when it comes to religious ideas. And apparently, he felt the need to test the host of the party. Imagine that. He noses his way in, and he starts hearing Jesus and the disciples saying some things, and he feels like, hey, it's my job as the, the smartest person in the tent here to grab the microphone and put Jesus to the test. And what I can only imagine a condescending voice, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Suddenly the party comes to an abrupt halt. But the conversation here provides a great opportunity for Jesus. Because these 12, 72 rookie evangelists, have, they, they've just, just gotten their toe wet on, on missions. And here's, here's a moment that Jesus gets to teach them how to interact with certain people. Especially when he's trying to answer the most important question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you had time to study the passage like I did this week, what you would see or what you would learn by reading commentaries is that this passage as a whole breaks into two parts, and they're almost identical. There's a motive identified in verse 25. There's a motive identified in verse 29, these two separate conversations. Then the lawyer asks a question, and then the lawyer asks a follow-up question. Then Jesus asks a counter-question each time. And then the lawyer gives the correct answer. And then Jesus says, great, you got a good answer. Go and do that. So we're going to look at both parts. They're just exactly the same. And the entire exchange here is meant to help the lawyer understand who he is or maybe better who he isn't. That's the goal. This guy has had a false self-sighting. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I see those yeses out there. Your your assessment of yourself is misaligned with reality. (laughs) And so this guy has had a false self-sighting. He really thinks he's in this place, but he's really in a totally different place. And Jesus is trying to help him saying, we've got to move you from here to there before we can move you from here to to the cross. Does that make sense? This guy with a false self-sighting can't move from here to the cross. He's got to move from here to hear, and then once he has a true self-sighting, then he can move his way to the cross. So we'll see this, number one, or part one, we can see that the motive behind the lawyer's question wasn't just to gain information, what should I do to gain inherit, or inherit eternal life? He's actually putting Jesus to the test. He's putting Jesus on the witness stand. The lawyer thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Now, you need to connect that back up to verse 21. The smartest people in the room aren't going to hear the gospel. The people who think they're the smartest people in the room, let's say that. He just said it. It's it's not revealed to people who think they're wise, who think they have understanding. So it's like Luke is saying, hey, Jesus just said it, and let me give you a prime example, this guy right here. Here's the kind of guy who can't really see the gospel. He doesn't really understand his need for grace. See, the lawyer, when he comes into the tent for the conversation, he's not looking for answers. 
He's, or, he's not looking for an answer for this question. He's demanding from Jesus that he approve him. I'm not really looking for an answer. I'm looking for approval. It's different. I come in, and what ha- what's happened with this lawyer is he's come in with his preformed, shaped identity. He's, he's self-identified who he is, what he's done, what merit badges he has. And he's not looking to come in and be changed by Jesus. He's looking to come in to be approved. So he comes in, he's like, okay, who gets to inherit eternal life? In other words, people like me do because I've got all these badges on. And what I want you, Jesus, to do, I just need you to affirm my identity. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus isn't interested in approving of what you think of yourself. He's interested in helping you see him and then in seeing him, then you might correctly assess yourself. So it's worth stopping here just to examine our own heart. The reason all of us are here, or at least most of us this morning, is we're on some quest to know about God. I mean, otherwise, why, why would you show up? I mean, maybe you got dragged in here by your friend, but you want to know something about God. What's this whole thing all about? And I wonder if you just know the answer to this question, what are you looking for? See, it's very possible, and I will say this carefully but directly, for the most religious-looking person in this room. And who might that be? Me. It's very possible for the most religious-looking person in the room to say, I've really come here to get God's approval of my life. I'm not really looking to be changed. I'm looking to be approved of. So when I ask you the question, when I ask myself the question, what are you looking for this morning? What are you hoping to get out of this time together? Hey, Greg, Paul, Tom, good week. Got the stamp of approval. Is that what you're looking for? Or are you looking for grace? We live in a cultural system, this isn't news to anybody, that holds as one of its highest values that you get to craft your own identity. That's one of the highest values in our culture. That you can be anything and anyone you want. And it has some good parts of it. But you you just get to craft any way you want to be, and you get to say your own pronouns and everything else. You got you're crafting all of this identity. You're posting it. You're making sure everybody knows it, and then everybody who comes in contact with you, what must they do? They must approve. You cannot disapprove. See a self-crafted identity very fragile. Very fragile. We live in an extremely fragile culture. And the reason is, is because we haven't gotten our identity from the Lord. We've self-crafted it. And when it's self-crafted, I've got to have my wife and my family and my friends and everybody else, they've got to approve of it because I crafted it. But if I've gotten an identity from someone else, see, my feet are on the rock, 
then I, then I live in a different place. This man comes in, he's got a self-crafted but false identity, and he can't really take much pushback. The lawyer has asked an excellent question, however. And I find Jesus' response really fascinating. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, isn't this the most softball question you could ask Jesus? I mean, this isn't a softball. This is a beach ball. You cannot swing and miss this question if you're Jesus. And this is what I was thinking about. If I had been one of the rookie evangelists nearby, I might have interrupted Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, I got this one. I mean, you don't have to take this one. I got this. Everybody knows this one. Sir, what shall I do and inherit eternal life? This is painfully obvious. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will inherit eternal life. I mean, that's the answer. Or I might have just said, Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. That's the answer. And then I would have looked at Jesus and been like, I'm looking for approval, like, of course, Paul, you hit that one out of the park, buddy. And if I had said that, and I'm afraid I have done that at different points, I believe Jesus would have quietly come over and said, please sit down and shut your yapper. Because he goes in a completely different direction. In fact, if you read back through the story, he never answers this guy's question. Isn't that amazing? I would have answered it with two Bible verses and I would have pinned a medal on my chest. And he never answers the question the whole time. And see, You see what he's doing? If you're, if you're on a journey with Jesus, you're looking and trying to see what he's doing, you're paying attention. How do you talk to somebody who might be in this condition? Do you just whip out Bible verses on them? Answer, no. You've got to move that person from here, a false identity, to a true identity. And then once they understand themselves, they'll say, I'm in massive need of help. And then you can say, let me tell you about Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus does. He sees that the lawyer has no idea that he's in personal need of a Savior. He thinks he's okay when really he's in danger. And because he doesn't see himself correctly, he's never going to see Jesus. Jesus knows that there can be no conversion without conviction of sin. So instead of blurting out a Bible verse, which I would have done, Jesus responds so often, which would be a great practice for all of us. Let me just ask a follow-up question. I mean, great question, but let me ask a follow-up question. And I just want you to see how smart this is of Jesus. What's happening with the, the, the test? It's shifting now, right? First, Jesus was getting tested, and he's just moving that momentum without this guy, I think, even knowing it. Hey, you know what? Let's have a little test for you, buddy. I mean, what, is the, what does the Old Testament say? I mean, you're a lawyer. You're going to know this. This is a softball question for this guy. He's like, yeah, I got this one. And he just quotes these passages from Deuteronomy and Le- Leviticus. Well, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus pats him on the back and says, great answer. Just go and do that. You're golden. That's all you have to do. Love God with all of your heart. Not 50%, not 75%, not 2%. All your strength, all your mind. And, you know, these people around you, your neighbors, you've got to love them just like you might love yourself. Good answer, go and do it. Now, what should have the lawyer's response been at that moment? Hey, I've been teaching this my whole life, but I can't do it. That's why I'm here. I actually know the right answer, but I can't do it. And I'm wondering if you can give me grace, not another lesson on the law. That's what he should have said. But he didn't because he doesn't see himself correctly. His pride extinguishes any flame of conviction. So then we move into part two, which is just a repeat of part one. You see the motive. The lawyer comes back to Jesus trying to justify himself. That's the motive. And he wanted to prove to Jesus, I've got enough merit badges to earn my Eagle Scout of eternal life. So he asked a second question. Who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify his current behavior. Again, this, I've said this. It happens all the time. We have a current behavior. We bring it into our relationship with God. We're not looking for our behavior to be changed. We're looking for our behavior to be approved. This happens all the time. And that's what this man is doing. So who is my neighbor? Is his follow-up question to Jesus. And what, what is the lawyer trying to do here? Well, Jesus, can you tell me who my neighbor is? Here's what I think. I think like all lawyers, sorry if you're a lawyer out here, he's looking for a loophole. That's what I think. Uh, Lawyers look for loopholes by narrowing down what's obvious. So Jesus, can, can we define exactly who my neighbor is? It feels a little bit like a discussion between a child and a parent when the child's been asked to clean his room. What does the child do? Room. I mean, let's define room here. Mom, dad. I mean, that certainly can't leave me in my closet because that's another room. That's not my room. And you can't mean under the bed because I never even use that part of the room. You see what I'm saying? You're just trying to narrow it down in some way. And one commentator says the way the guy asked the question, he's trying to unneighbor people. You hear that? He knows there are certain people he doesn't want to love by himself, so he wants to narrow it down just to the people he already loves. So by the the question, he's automatically unneighboring some people. Like, it can't mean these people. So Jesus tells him a story. Again, just this is so great. He has a question, and Jesus follows up with a question. He has another question. Jesus follows up with a story, a very familiar one. The story of the Good Samaritan. There's a man traveling down a road. This is a 15-mile road from Jerusalem all downhill to Jericho. Very familiar road, but familiar not only because of its uh, direction, but a lot of bandits along this particular route. And everybody would have known that, so the story fits. Robbers come and attack this guy, take all his belongings, beat him up, 
throw him on the side of the road, and he's half dead. And by chance, two different people, religious lawyers, priest and a Levite, they pass by. They know everything they need to know about the Bible, but they're unwilling to stop and care for this man. They don't even want their shadow to touch this man, so they go on the other side of the road. Their extensive Bible knowledge somehow doesn't translate into action. And then Jesus shockingly and intentionally introduces a third character, the Samaritan. Now, we kind of think of this story and think, ah, the good Samaritan, he'd be my pal. But in, in this culture, the Samaritan is somebody that you just think of just the worst kinds of things about. They're the worst kind of person on the planet. They're hated. They're despised. They're the last person who would be neighborly. And yet Jesus puts this guy up and says, hey, lawyer, follow the Samaritan. Hmm. Do what the Samaritan did. First, have compassion. Second, jeopardize your own safety and be willingly inconvenienced. Third, sacrifice a certain amount of money to take care of this man until he gets better, whatever the cost. You you hear that when Mike said it? I'll return and whatever the cost, I'll pay it to get him healthy. One commentator said this, when the first two people passed by, they saw a stranger. When the Samaritan passed by, they saw themselves. When Jesus finished the story, then he asked the question, well, who proved to be most neighborly? And the lawyer, did you notice, he can't even say the word Samaritan. The one, that's what he said. It's as close as he gets to even acknowledging this guy's existence. The one who showed mercy. Again, Jesus pats him on the back and says, great, just be like the Samaritan. Go and do, do likewise. Notice there are no other questions from the lawyer. Now, what's the primary purpose of Jesus telling this story? There are important secondary purposes, but what's the primary purpose? Is it to tell us how to care for people around us? That's not the primary purpose of the story. The primary purpose of the story is to help this man who's trying to justify himself. That's the primary purpose. And to tell a story to say, can you see yourself that you don't live up to to loving your neighbor? I mean, you just said love your neighbor as yourself is a key component to internal life. And can you see now you can't do it? I mean, that's the whole purpose. I'm telling you a story that when you see yourself in, you say, I'm not loving my neighbor, so I must not inherit eternal life. I must be in trouble. I've moved from here to here. And then Jesus can say, Take a look at me and gain eternal life. But the man, he stands over here. And as far as we know, he just walks away. Now, I would want to say, Jesus, you've got a fish on the line. The guy has asked, how do I inherit eternal life? Surely, of all people, Jesus, you can reel him in. And he lets him walk away. just telling his disciples, you're going to have these conversations. You're not going to be able to get everybody in the boat. Some people just need to be, are not ready for for grace. 
They've got to move from here to here. But what you can do, uh, I think the guy's name is Greg Kirkle, or I'm not sure exactly how to say his last name, but he says when you have these conversations when, with people like this, what you're trying to do is put a stone in their shoe. And I love that picture. Just put a stone in You ever have a tiny little thing in your shoe? It doesn't take much, does it? When you got something in your shoe and you shake it out, I didn't even see anything come out. Just a tiny little piece of gravel so that every time he walks and he passes a Samaritan, what do you think he's thinking about? I can't love this guy. I'm in danger of not gaining eternal life. And we don't know. It says when Jesus risen from the grave, many Pharisees came to know him. Maybe he was one. Maybe he saw, I, I couldn't do the things I was telling people. He came in looking for approval. What he needed was grace. What the lawyer wasn't able to see in the story, we can see. That the Good Samaritan really is a picture of Jesus. He was moved with compassion. He jeopardized his own safety. He sacrificed a significant amount of his own treasure so that dying people could recover. So what about you? What did you come in looking for this morning? Plenty of you know you're a loser, you're a sinner, and you need grace. I don't mean that meanly. You just know it. I knew it when I woke up this morning. I wasn't fooling anybody. And I, I desperately need grace. But it, I'm just saying it's not that hard to think you're okay. And just a little bit better performance this week. See, Paul, what I was hoping for was a few tips just to live a little bit better so next week I got the badge. And Jesus loves me just a little bit more. You see, that's, it, that, you, you feel that, don't you? It doesn't take much to live that way. Jesus comes and says, anybody can follow, but there's only one way on, by grace alone. Let's pray. Lord, um, this lawyer, we all have an inner lawyer. We have a lawyer who's constantly making the case for ourselves. And I pray that, that we come in today and that inner lawyer gets ripped out. And we see, like a child would see, I need help. We would see like the half-dead man would see, I, I can't survive without somebody coming towards me. And we would see you, the author of grace. Would you come and rescue every soul, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.